now, Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome, everybody, to Two Guys and a Mic. It's Mike Murrow filling in for John Co- for the coach, John Cohn. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while since I've last been on, been on air. So we're going to enjoy this hour, and we've got lots to talk about. And I think we've got Big Dog on the line as well. Big Dog, you there? Heck yeah, I'm here, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you doing? Uh, doing absolutely phenomenal, and uh, Christmas was very, very good. Uh, the big dog and his family this year is all I got to say. So it was beautiful. That's always good to hear. Uh-huh. It's been, I guess, this is the first show since the uh, Christmas break, right? Yeah, it is. It's the first one back. Yesterday, I, I got to sleep in, and I don't really remember much of it. <laughs> that, was a, that was the first weekday that I didn't have to uh, wake up before nine o'clock, and I don't know how long it was. Awfully good, Joe. Awfully good. It's always good to sleep in whenever you get the chance, no matter what you're doing. Oh, heck yeah. So, well, what a weekend of sports. Uh, typical uh, Chicago highs and lows. Now, Christmas Day, I, I can't imagine a Christmas. I, I don't remember the last time there was a Christmas Day with so much sports activity uh, on there when you're talking about the Bulls and the Bears playing on the same day. Do you remember a, a more hectic sporting day in the city of Chicago's history? Not that I can remember, but, you know, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I hope. You know, they have a lot more Christmases like that. You know, yeah, typically we'll get the Bulls on Christmas, but by then it's like their 25th game of the year, so like the newness is worn off. You want to see what you're getting, you're hanging with your family. Hey, let's watch the game. Everybody was that in my family who really could care less about basketball was transfixed to the game and really complained. It was pretty funny to actually see my entire family in front of a TV watching a regular season basketball game, which hardly ever happened. But right. I, I was... You know, I was kind of wavering in how excited I was about, you know, the NBA being back. But once I saw it actually on the TV and and it helped that all the games were good, I got, you know, really excited about the season. Now, yeah, I didn't watch any other basketball game besides, uh, besides the Bulls. But you're exactly right. I could care less about basketball. The only reason why I cared about the lockout that it was the Bulls, but I wasn't even excited to watch the game until all of a sudden – the Bulls were on. I'm listening to it on the radio. Listen to, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the, the legend's name who does the play by play of the of the Bulls radio. Oh, on the radio, it's uh, Chuck Swirsky. Yeah, Chuck Swirsky was a uh, Chicago legend. I mean, this guy was in Chicago in the 70s, leaves, goes to Toronto, waits until the Bulls job comes back open. He comes back here. Listen to him do the game. Just get you. I couldn't wait to get to my my uh, destination just so I can actually watch the game. Chuck Swirsky had me so fired up uh, on on Sunday on Christmas. <laughs> listen to him had me energetic. It was good stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to give him a listen. I haven't done much of it because you know I've always I grew up with Neil Funk as a kid. Okay. He yeah. was on the he was on the radio side and I didn't have cable as a kid really. So whenever I got to watch the Bulls, you know I got Wayne Larrabee. Hold up, you didn't have, as a sports fan, you didn't have cable? <laughs> no, I wasn't making the decisions back then. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I know how parents can get. I, I know how that that should be. And that, that and without ESPN and, like, back with, when you were a, a kid, like Fox Sports Net and all that other stuff, 
I don't I don't know how I could have went on. See, that's what I need to be thankful for was the fact that my 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 mom made sure I had plenty of television programming. Yeah, I I, I think that's really how I got in the radio so much. I had to listen every game I couldn't watch. I had to listen to on the radio. I would have to say both games that were not on regular free television because they're usually if, back then if they weren't on WGN they would be on Fox Sports and if they were on nationally ninety percent of the time they'd be on TBS or TNT so you only got to watch like twenty five games a year. Yeah, it was tough, but you know when it came down to the the playoffs, I got to see all the games that all the, all the games that mattered. Okay, this is true, yeah. but no. That's, Actually, sometimes they they not all the time the, the the playoff games are televised on free TV. Not all of them, because I remember when I before I didn't have cable when Michael Jordan was a, a bull. That was like hell when during playoff games that I couldn't watch on television. I mean, I, w- I was like in tears on those days. So I understand where you're coming from because I did have a small portion of my uh, like adult like I mean teen life where I did not have cable. It was very difficult. Right? True, I was fortunate enough to have a neighbor from time to time that let me come bu- come over, you know, watch the games on his TV, like, you know, the classic Bulls-Knicks games that were always great to watch. In the, in the early 90s, th- that was the most watched television of a whole Bulls season was when they were playing the Knicks, because that was the only team that had a shot at ever beating the Bulls back then, because... And the only way they were going to do it was they'd pull out a knife, cut somebody's throat during the middle of the game, and, and hopefully they would bleed the Bulls to death. But you know, luckily that never that, that tactic never worked. They were able to beat them every year. Yeah, there so. are there so, many, so many great games between the two teams. And I kind of enjoy that the Knicks are going to be good again because I think that that will help build a rivalry up. And, oh, it, and I'll love to see that in the Eastern Conference, it being a lot better again. You know, and I don't care what anybody says. Now we got the Chicago and, and New York rivalry going on, and it'd be cool to see the Knicks good. And I would, I would assume everybody's going to agree that the Bulls are a contender in the East with Derrick Rose and a, a bunch of great defensive players. Uh, but to see that the a New York Chicago rivalry blossom again would be good because the New Yorkers take it serious. Every time I've gone to New York, when people find out I'm from Chicago, they almost become defensive because they realize yes, their city is bigger than ours, but ours is better than theirs. So. There seems to be a a very uh, strong like oh no we got better food than you all this it's it's weird I was like man I love your city so, just leave. so there is a rivalry between Chicago and New York hopefully one of those can blossom up if you look at the Bulls last night just, uh, I guess it's one of those games where maybe playing back to back and all that stuff they say slows you down I don't get that Mike because to be quite honest with you I I'd be more than happy to play two very difficult basketball games consecutive days and go from uh, uh, what he called a charter flight into a five-star hotel from five-star hotel and eat extremely well and deal with how tiresome and, and grueling the, 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 and arduous a trip on the, the NBA would be. It would be a break. That's ridiculous. But, you know, they're one-and-one. One. They they look good, though. I mean, in junior fantasy, they have not played well at all, yet they're one-and-one one throughout the season. Yeah, it's this, this NBA schedule in general just really scares me because I think there's going to be – a lot of awful basketball for at least two weeks. Because, you know, I, I, a lot of the teams are still in preseason mode. And and think about this. The Lakers, who have a lot of players that they have to get into their rotation, have to play six games in eight days because of the way the target center is used for, like, 
a circus and the fact that the Clippers are in it. So the Lakers have have more off days than most teams do during this stretch or like longer off days, but they also have to go through some of the craziest. They go through three games in four days, twice in eight days. So basically, that's, that's amazing. Six games in eight days in the NBA. So no, no one, that has not happened in, uh, since 1999, the last time that happened. That was during the last strike. It's it's going to be pretty incredible. I think I think teams are just going to be struggling along until really they make the playoffs where they start getting where they start getting it together. And the playoffs are going to be the easiest stretch of schedule for these teams because they're going to have a, at least one day in between every single game. That'll be the easiest part of the whole entire season for these teams, which is the exact opposite of how it normally is. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what the players were thinking when they agreed to this 66 games and I, I forget how many days, but... I, I don't know what isn't... it is, but it ends up being they play, they typically play 14 games in a month, in 30 days. And now it's 16 in 30. And if that, that might not seem like a lot, but that's a lot. That is a lot of extra games throughout the, throughout the course of a season. So I think it sets up well for the Bulls because... The Bulls are, without question, if, if without injuries, the Bulls are no lower than lower than the third deepest team in basketball. When you think about the Bulls, 9, 10, 11, and 12th player, they're a lot better than a typical team's 9, 10, and 11, 12th player. So I think a condensed schedule should help the Bulls. If Thibodeau, the only thing he does wrong as a coach, I think, is ride his starters too much. If he actually lets his bench, the bench mob, get some big minutes, the Bulls could be very effective this season. Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think last night was a uh, one of those moments where he he definitely let his bench ride for a while because towards in the fourth quarter, um, Noah Noah Hamilton and Boozer all were sitting the last at least eight minutes or so. I don't think I don't think I remember seeing them in the fourth quarter really. Yeah, yeah, Noah did not play. I was shocked to see that. I was shocked that Noah wasn't on the court more. And I don't want to sit here and just keep on bashing Boozer or Boozer. But can you give me something positive that he has done for the Bulls yet in the first two games? Yeah, you know what? I can't really say too much. I try not to. I'm I'm like you. I try not to bash him as much because, you know, last year he had a pretty good season if you look at his numbers, but. In the first two games, defensively, he's been struggling. Yes. And how many lazy passes that he turned into turnovers has he thrown? I mean, 19 turnovers in last night's game? Come on. Hopefully that's the high for the season because you should not turn the ball over. There's a 48-minute game, so once every two and a half minutes, you're, oh, here's the ball back. Just take it, guys. We don't need it. This is ridiculous. Not in the NBA. Not, if you're trying to win, you got to keep your turnovers around 10 every single game. Yeah. And I... – and, and Carlos Boozer throwing these, he has so many turnovers. He's, he's like the black hole of the offense. Everybody's moving the ball around. It gets to him, and it's either a turnover or a shot. And it's not good right now. He does the pass. Uh, whatever. <laughs> uh, I just, it's just good to have a team that has a, has a bright future this year. And I really do think that the Bears have. I mean, the, the Bulls have that. And considering what the Bears had, it, it's kind of Christmas Day was like a transition for all of us. Starting off the Bears season. <laughs> It was yeah, that was uh, the other interesting part of Christmas Day is going from that great Lakers Bulls finish to the Bears where they kind of fooled you into thinking they had a chance 
And then the Packers finally found themselves and blew it open to make it not as close as the score as we all thought it, you know, as it actually looks. Oh, yeah, it was definitely a lot worse than 35-21. Josh McCown right now looks like the backup quarterback for the Bears next season. I mean, if they can get a better one without wasting a high draft pick, I would be all up for that because you can't guarantee color playing all 16 games next season, obviously. You know, but like, but not like that's up, that's what we're thinking with the Bears. So I'm sitting here watching. Now it's Christmas Day. And all of us have been drinking all day, having a good time. And, you know, all of a sudden somebody's like, oh, I hope the Bears lose for a better drafting. And you can't say that around me. I get fired up. And, I'll, and all I can say is I can imagine if you want to ensure you're going to get Andrew Luck, okay, maybe you might not want to win a game, okay? But when I, the difference between drafting 17th or drafting 15th because you lost a game to the Packers, is that worth it? So people are worth it. Yeah, I lose. And I tried to ask this person. I want you, are, you, are you along those lines? Did you want the Bears to lose to the Packers so they can move up in the draft? No way. There's no way there's a chance because, you know, I did the, uh, I went on the ESPN.com playoff generator and the Bears still had a chance as hard as it seems to make the playoffs, if they won that game on Sunday. Yeah, all, they needed a lot to happen, okay? But the, the key was they still had a chance to make the playoffs. And the point is it was the Packers. And I, I, I asked this person, I'm like, okay, so the Bears should legitimately tank this game. They're like, yes, they should. So I was like, it never happens. They're like, it happens all the time. And they, would you agree that it's happened before in the NFL, that teams have purposely lost the improved draft position. I would say so. I mean, I, I don't know what – I can't remember a specific time to You don't have to remember a specific it, time, yeah. but you do say, yes, it happened. Could you – can you explain to me the chain of command of that? Can I, you explain what happens in an organization, what the owner goes to the general manager and says, is it worth losing? And the general manager says yes, and then the general manager goes to the coach and says, you know what? I don't want you to. We're having a horrible season. We're one in fourteen. We got to make sure we go one in fifteen, and, and so make sure we lose this game. And was the coach say, "Oh, so I'm probably going to get fired. We went one in fifteen, so I'm supposed to lose the last game." I, I just don't understand how that works. That works. I don't. I don't know if it necessarily if there's a necessarily if there's a chain of command, but I think the, the I think definitely players towards the end of, the, of a season definitely quit on certain plays and don't play completely a hundred percent. No, no, you're right about that, but I don't think it's an attempt to purposely lose. I think it's, I think it's, uh, exhaustion at the end of a game that they know is at the end of a season that is hopeless. I, but I don't think it's, you know what? I'm going to purposely keep tanking this game, so I'm just going to throw it in the tank. I, I'm not just saying, I'm not just trying to like make you look bad by bringing this up and saying, you know, tell me how it happened. I just don't think it does. I'm getting in an argument with my family with like 15 on one, and I'm like, it doesn't happen. There's no way that the teams purposely lose. And they 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 thought I was crazy. Yeah, they're like, it definitely happens. I just don't know how. I just don't know how you would actually pull it off. Even though it definitely happened in Houston. Do you remember the the Rockets? This is basketball now. This is the reason why they have a uh, a draft lottery in the NBA. Is when the, they had drafted Ralph Sampson and they still had a real, real bad team and Akeem Olajuwon was available, and they purposely played their worst players on their bench, started them, basically didn't take these guys out of the game. Said Ralph Sampson had bad knees, and they lost their last like eight games. They dropped below the Bulls and the Portland Trail Blazers for the worst record in the NBA during the last eight games of the season. They take, uh, they take 
Akeem Olajuwon of Portland already had Clyde Dressler. I think Sam Bowie and the Bulls get Michael Jordan. If the Rockets didn't do that, they would have ended up with Michael Jordan. They purposely blew the last games, and they end up missing the greatest player that's ever laced up shoes before. So I think that is some of the greatest karma in the history of sports. I'm glad that I'm glad that it worked out that way. Obviously, but that brings <laughs> up <laughs> that brings up another good point is. Is you know almost the surefire thing, which a lot of people tend to think Andrew Luck is. Mm-hmm. But personally, I don't. I don't know. I don't think you can ever guarantee someone being a surefire thing. The NFL and college are two different leagues, but people seem so ready to make Andrew Luck the next great thing that you know they have the Colts talking about trading Peyton. Andrew Luck wants to come in and play right away. You know, I just. I don't know why would why fans are angry that the Colts won that game last Thursday. You know? it is, uh, that uh, yeah, I don't get that at all. And they're saying you know we got to have this kid. But think about this though: if you're the Colts organization, Jim Irsay, and you want to keep Peyton Manning, you know what the best way to to get the Colts really good and, and close to a, a back to a Super Bowl contention is well, if they lose the last game. Like I'm telling you, I'm not telling them they should lose because I couldn't, I can't even imagine how you do that in the NFL. You, you'd have to go to Jim Caldwell and be like, here, coach, we know you had a rough year. We're going to give you a contract extension for next year, lose this game. Although, because uh, if they tell him just lose it on purpose, I, there's no way he would do it. I, I mean, I know I wouldn't, but if, if they get the number one pick and decide to pay Peyton Manning because he's healthy enough to play, you have a, here's your options. You want to have him sit behind, uh, Andrew Luck sit behind Peyton Manning from two to five years, who knows, most likely closer to two than five. Or you trade and get a – who knows what you would get for Andrew Luck. Now, Peyton Manning's your quarterback again. You're a couple players away at certain positions and just be like, all right, who wants Andrew Luck? We're going to want something like we're going to want this. We're going to want a defensive tackle, a strong safety, and an offensive tackle and a couple draft picks, and you might be able to get that. They're like, okay, here you go. Now you're looking back and they're like, well, it was much better to go 2-14 and 14 than 3-13. and 13. I'm not saying it's wrong or you shouldn't do it. I'm just like, how does it actually, how does a team actually blow a game on purpose in the NFL? How do you do it without looking bad? I can it has to be I, absolutely obvious that you did it. Right. I can definitely see where you're coming from. And it, and it would be, it would be pretty hard. And I guess one way you could do it is how Houston did it. Like, I mean, the Colts could play, uh, Curtis Painter. He's looked yeah. terrible. They're like, Orlovsky gives us a shot at winning at Jacksonville. <laughs> we can actually win if this guy plays quarterback. So we're going to play Painter again one more time. That, so, that would be the best way to do it because he's looked absolutely awful. That might, oh, be the, yeah, that might be the one guy that's looked worse than Caleb Haney. Yeah, uh, yeah Painter was, was – which if Haney was worse because everything around Haney was a lot better than what Painter had. And Painter was a deer in headlights. Like, the season was done, and it was like, all right, it's garbage time in game one. Where Caleb Haney had a lot of good stuff around him, including Matt Forte when he came into the game at Oakland. So, you're right. He's the, he, Everybody but Haney. Now, uh, Orlovsky, he's looked like a quality NFL backup quarterback. I mean, he, he's going to get himself a job after this. No matter what, he'll, he'll have a job in the NFL next season where I don't know if Caleb Haney will. Do you think he will? I I I don't see Caleb Haney playing football again. I hope the I hope that time uh, against the what I can't even remember the last game he played, but I hope that game was the last time I've seen him in a Bears uniform 
If someone oh, else he, wants to take a chance on him, go ahead. He look he looks awful. He's he's definitely he's definitely done now. Uh, Josh McCown looked good enough to me to bring him in next year as a backup possibility. Just in one game against the Packers. Now, I would like to see Enderly play just to see if he's worth keeping around to. I would love you know, to see Enderly play right now. Otherwise, why would you draft him if you don't think he's ready at all? Yeah, I, I totally, totally, completely agree. This game, uh, this last game of the year against the Vikings, which I definitely want the Bears to win. They're playing the Vikings. I can't stand that team. And they're going to be playing Joe Webb and Tommy, what's his name, from uh, from Stanford. Oh, uh, the Toby Gerhardt. Toby, I called him Tommy Bardell, who is a thick white running back from Stanford from like 10 years ago. Toby Gerhardt finished second in the Heisman. I should remember his name. I'm sorry about that, Toby. <laughs> you know, but look, let's face it. I, I know I, my friends, I don't know the Bears, no, no, no. The Bears need to win in Minnesota. Okay, if they're going to draft 16th or 14th next year, it won't make a difference in whether or not they actually get a playmaking receiver, another offensive lineman, and hopefully a safety. Oh, the, the Bears need so much help. I don't even know where to start. You know what, though? They're really, if you're talking about, like, if you're talking long term, they feel like every team in the NFL. They need a lot of help everywhere. But if you're talking about next year, you're right. There are certain positions that they need an unbelievable amount of help on, but they're so set at so many others that Mike, they're not as far away as you might think. Just for the simple fact that their defensive line is is dominant, and if their corners come back healthy, their corners are in good shape. If you if Chris Conte is healthy and has and has some experience, and they actually get a good safety to go with Chris Conte, all of a sudden the Bears' defense is extremely solid for the 2012 season. Right, and you know who's looked, who's actually looked surprisingly decent in the last few games is Craig Stoltz. He has, from, you know what the beautiful thing was? He played in the Denver Bronco game and had the greatest game he's had as an NFL player. It was a college game. It was a college offense, and all of a sudden, he felt at ease in it. And then he dominated. He really was a dominant safety for the Bears in that game, except in uh, the last drive of the game, which... When he got T-bowed, we all know that. So, <laughs> if you so ever since then, so it's like, oh, he like went back and he was at LSU playing against Tim Tebow at, at against Florida. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, I think it raises confidence. Like, whoa, I can play in this league. And it had to wake him up to play a college style of the NFL game. It woke up, and I swear, since that game, he has played at a very good level. And maybe it now we were the dude is like an athletic freak. You know, we always have these stereotypes about, like, what color people are and how they play. Well, Craig Stoltz was a dummy with all the athletic ability in the world. And now he's finally, like, figured it out. So we got this guy that is as fast as anybody playing safety in the NFC North. Now he's hopefully he can start, like, reacting and not thinking on the football field. Because if you think on the football field, you're the slowest person out there. Yeah, it's, it's over once you start thinking. But, you know, that's a... That's a good point. What are you on this play? I said it's over well, if you start thinking. That, yeah, the guy 10 yards behind you running with the ball, you were supposed to be on him. Oh, that's Yeah, it kind of sounds like what Major Wright has been doing a lot of. You know, Major Wright had a real good week and a half earlier in the year, and you can't call him Major Wright playing the way he has. He doesn't earn his own name playing the way he has the last three or four games. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers would look right at him 
and then look in another direction. Majorette would sprint that direction, and right where Majorette was standing, a Packer receiver would come flying through catching the ball. Yes. Yeah, so, as soon as as soon as Aaron Rodgers went deep, he t- he dropped back. I I immediately went uh oh because I knew something bad was about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he usually yeah. doesn't do that, and you know miss a pass. He usually only does that when he knows someone is going to be open. That's like one of those things where, like, you're, when you're playing that quarterback, your defensive line has to play their best game of the season. Otherwise, you you really don't have much of a chance. That's why I, when you when you look about the NFL playoffs, look at teams with great defensive lines as the teams that actually have a chance at beating the Packers, like teams like the the New York Giants. A lot of people have been saying the Saints. I hope the Saints can do it too. I'm probably rooting for the Saints when they play in Green Bay, but uh, I, I don't think the the Saints have enough defensively. They'd have to look just like in the week one opener when they lost 34, what was it, 34-42 to the Packers? Yeah, it, it was close. Like, it's going to have to be something like that where they, they're going to have to score like 40 points to beat the Packers. Where the Giants, they can go into Green Bay, hit Rodgers a bunch of time, and all of a sudden be maybe 27, 20 to 17 or something like that, a real ugly game, and walk out with a victory. Other than that, the Packers are coming out of the NFC. Yeah, the 49ers I, aren't going to do it. I kind of came to that conclusion probably about week six that the Packers were going to be the team to come out. And I really in, don't think any team can really go beat them unless they got home field advantage. In week six, I, I, by then, this was this was right after the Bears had just started getting their act back together after the game five blowout of the Lions. I really started thinking that the Bears were the only team in the league that can beat them because they had the, the pass rush without blitzing. They had the, the rivalry effect, and just like you're like, wow, the game ended up being a lot closer than the score indicated. The rivalry effect will do that. The Bears and Packers play each other, and all of a sudden, it's a you know, it's a you know, it's a barroom fight just because it's the Bears and Packers, and it ends up being closer than it should. But obviously, those dreams are long gone and put to bed because the Bears season is officially over at this point. That's what's so frustrating about the season is that I think the majority of Bears fans think along the same line. Same lines as you did, and think at that point, you know, the Bears are seven and three, and you know they're on a roll and got some, you know, got not easy games but winnable games, and you think, hey, they've got a chance to beat the Packers, and then you find out Jay Cutler's out for the year, and our hopes and dreams are dashed. Well, you're listening to two guys in the mic. That's Mike Moreau. This is Joel Edwanski. Mike's filling in for the coach John Cohn, who's usually here during weekdays, and. The coach, John Cohn, had talked about how professional, we had talked how professional the Bears were playing. How it seemed like, like when you watch them as a fan, as a spectator, even if they would lose, at, at, they were playing a type of brand of football that you could deal with. Like, they're playing smart and all that. And then to have all this happen to us, it is ugly. It, it is ugly. So, over the course of the year, I was just, just wondering, I'm going to have a couple people doing shows with this week, Mike. What was the biggest story for you over the course of 2011? Oh. Was, it, was it the Bulls having the best record in the NBA? I would what? say, I would say, <clears throat> I would say locally that was that was probably the biggest moment for me because you know the I was it was just exciting to watch the Bulls be at the top of the league again. It's something that hasn't happened in years, and it's been slowly but surely building up. And then to see it finally happen and Derrick Rose explode like that to where, you know, not a lot of teams thought they were going to be the team to beat in the East. 
So I really, I really enjoyed that. Now, when you think locally, are you a proper White Sox fan? I'm a Cubs fan. What do you put uh, Theo Epstein getting hired as the Chicago Cubs president? It's it's big. If you had to do a Chicago top five list, I'd I'd say that would be in the top five. But you know, I, it's so difficult because the GM is it's a big part of the team, but it's still the players on the field that have to produce. Oh, definitely. But it's uh, it is a direction. It's the first time the Cubs have really had a like a, a definitive direction with a, an owner instead of like some shadow organization group. And a GM who's always looked like he's cost-cutting, now it's like Tom Ricketts owns the team, and he's like, I am going to try to gouge the fans, yes, I am, but I'm also going to try to put his best team on the field as I possibly can. So uh, I, I do like the direction where they're going. It's the first time we can say that as Cup fans, that there's a direct line of that guy does this, this guy does this, and we're supposed to win championships instead of, okay, well, that guy's trying to save money for a bunch of stockholders. Yeah, a buddy of mine and I have gotten, you know, been talking a lot about the Cubs lately, and we both, and I know we've talked about it, that, you know, it's, you know, we never thought we'd actually see the Cubs decide to blow it up and start over. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of a big deal that, you know, they have an, you know, Theo has an owner in Ricketts that is actually willing to do it, because this team really, even with a big signing like Fielder, Probably wasn't that close to winning a World Series. Oh no! Oh no! They weren't. So it's it's good that they're finally going. Hey, let's you know be patient. It's going to be a long couple of years, but the plan is to compete. You know, over and over again, not just be a, be a flash. You just, you want to compete consistently. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've always wanted that organization to. To think exactly like that in terms of, oh, if we can win it all this year, let's go for it. If not, this team can't win the World Series. Let's try to figure out how to win the World Series the year after next. Because it's, you'll win a lot more that way than you will just trying to go out there and give it the old college try every year. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's going to be – with the new CVA, I read a blog posting the other day. And if the, the you know, if the blog is correct, you know, they were saying how the plan is actually to be terrible – for the next couple of years because the CBA restricts better teams from spending more money in the draft and internationally, but it allows teams, you know, it allows the, the bad teams to spend a lot more. And the plan before was, which and how Theo built his teams in Boston was through, you know, some trades and through the draft. But, you know, the CBA changed that. So now I guess the plan is to be terrible so they can actually stick to their plan of building through the draft and internationally. You're talking about so the Cubs should be bad to draft higher? Yeah, that's what the blog well that's what the blog posting said. The plan may actually the plan may actually be to be bad for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because apparently the C V A lets you spend more money if you're bad and that's how teams like Tampa and and the well and the Marlins who we're able to spend a ton of money this year. Well, the, there is more revenue sharing, which basically means that the Cubs and the Yankees and and teams like that, the Red Sox, have to give up more of their earnings to teams that didn't earn as much. So, right. I mean, that's so what ends up happening. Is seems like the Cubs are basically giving money to the Marlins is basically what's going on. And the Marlins, 
this year, all of a sudden have an extra like $250 million worth of income coming in from selling like 10-year contracts on their skyboxes, and they're going out spending all that money they're getting too. So they have money uh, shared in revenue because they don't have the same TV deals that the Yankees and the Cubs do, but they're getting an extra $200 million from uh, from selling these skyboxes. So it's ridiculous. The way this set up is such a joke. It's kind of funny. And uh, Ozzie is really smart to go down there because the, the Marlins had way they, – they got way too much money out of this deal and they should have – Baseball really looked at what was going on. The Marlins should not have got a big chunk of the revenue sharing pie at all, period. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny the way things are set up. But, you know, baseball does have the strongest union, so I can't I can't, I can't complain too much because I like the way they've, they've looked at it and decided, unlike the NBA, that, hey, sh- strikes and lockouts don't help us. So let's get deals done to help make the league more competitive and keep the fans coming back. I, I, I like football's collective bargaining agreement the best. That's what I like the best at all. Yeah. Because well, you pay money to people up front if they're worth it, and then their contract isn't guaranteed. So, oh, you did this, you did this for us, so we want you to do this, here's a bunch of money. Oh, you're not panning out? Well, we can cut you and don't owe you a penny anymore. That's the best. That's the best way it's set up. And it's also set up where, yes, the TV... Deal is split split one thirty second between all the teams. There's thirty two teams. They all get the same amount of TV money. But when it comes to merchandising, when a Brian Urlacher jersey is sold, the Bears get half the money, and the other thirty one teams get one thirty one of it, and it's split that way. So like when it goes to NFL.com, you know, and they sell for two hundred and forty, well NFL.com gets one hundred and twenty, and the other one hundred and twenty sixty goes to the Bears. And the other sixty dollars gets split up one thirty one for everybody else. So what ends up happening is, in the NBA, you know the Bulls had Michael Jordan all those years, had to pay him thirty six million dollars, and they had to split equally with the rest of the league his merchandising money. And all of a sudden, the Bulls, the Bulls value went up when Michael Jordan retired. Look it up; it was it's disgusting the way the NBA is set up. The Golden State Warriors were sold for the highest value ever in the history of the NBA uh, last year. And it was, and their their team is worth like 150 million dollars more than the Knicks. Doesn't make any sense the way the NBA is set up. Well, the way the football is set up is if you have a great player, like so, if you decide to take a risk and and draft Tim Tebow, well, guess what? You get half of all the jersey revenues off of that. So when they end up having to pay Tim Tebow 20 million dollars a year, or when Peyton Manning gets paid 20 million dollars a year to play quarterback, guess what? Jim Irsay's made hundreds of millions of dollars off of Peyton Manning jerseys since he was drafted. So he has no problem paying him. But when you're Jerry Reinsdorf, why do you want to pay Michael Jordan $36 million a year when you're only getting one, at the time, one twenty-ninth of the money for having him on your team? It's ridiculous. Right. That's and, why and that's why I'm afraid, that I'm afraid there's going to be another lockout in six years because I know there's an agreement for a certain length in the NBA, but both sides can opt out after a certain, a certain point. So I think mm-hmm. there's going to be another one coming that, unless they, you know, find some way to not, you know, to avoid it. But, you know, the owners and players don't really get along in the NBA, so I doubt that's going to happen. But what what would you say is one of your Chica- biggest Chicago storylines of the year? Well, for Chicago storyline, and you, I, I mentioned it earlier, I really do think it is uh, it is Theo Epstein because if Theo Epstein 
does turn the Cubs around, it'll be like the greatest thing that ever happened to the city of Chicago. And if you think about the 2011 season as a Chicago Bears fan, you have a playoff run, one win, you lose to the Packers, when you had a better record than them, so it really hurts. And then 2011 regular season starts out with, hey, you know, this team looks like it's really good, oh, it's getting better, 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 and then all of a sudden the team implodes. This, to me, is like the disaster, the most, the harshest Bears season I can remember since 1987 when Walter Payton retired. How about that? In 20, almost a quarter century, as hard of a season as a Bears fan as I've ever seen. As I've ever seen. That's a that's a pretty big statement considering uh, I mean, the, the Bears have had some bad years during during my times as a fan. Well, this year was a lot harder on me than going uh, five and eleven with Dick Duran because I knew they sucked at the beginning of the year. Well, I had legitimate aspirations that they would beat the Packers in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl, and I, I don't I didn't think it was a pipe dream, especially when you consider now that the Packers aren't as infallible as we all thought they were. Okay, they're not like a perfect team. And the fact how well the Bulls, the Bears were playing for uh, like a six-week stretch before Cutler was hurt. But honestly, when you look back, at, and then what we, you, you fight, the way we get Tebow, the way, I mean, just the way they lost oh, Hail Marys, are you kidding me? And we get beat by a kicker and a punter in Oakland. Oh, oh, and by the way, our best player goes down with a, an injury, and he's definitely not coming back because he doesn't want to risk anything. Cutler goes down, we find out that our backup quarterback was horrible. Oh, and by the way, there's there might be a cocaine conspiracy going on with our team because one of our players was going to start distributing seven hundred thousand dollars worth of cocaine a week. Yeah, it's a great season for the Chicago Bears. Great season. That's true. The last the last three weeks have been pretty awful. Like a it's like a big you know a big snowstorm that just like apparently just like slammed us and like from out of nowhere. And I could I couldn't believe the things that the things that happened to the Bears in three weeks. You, you could almost write a movie about it. I, and I didn't even mention Johnny Knox looked like he might never walk again oh in the middle of all that. I was I the, I read I heard someone on the radio the other day saying that if Johnny Knox had not been a fit young athlete, that he probably would have died on that hit. They I, said, that's believable. That is absolutely 100% believable to me. What what he went through was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Oh, that's absolutely so scary to think about. And, you know, when you see it live, it doesn't look terrible until you look at the freeze frame of it. And you're like, you're, you look at it and you go, the human body is not meant to bend that way at all. It went about eight inches further than you think it could go. <sighs> you know what I mean? How could uh, I, could, I couldn't believe it went that far. I just have never seen anything like that. And this might give you a tiny little bit of a laugh about it. Right when it happened, I freak out. I'm not kidding you. I'm one of those guys where when Adrian Peterson got his knee blown out this week, I wasn't like a white side. I mean, a, like a, a Bears fan. Oh, yeah, I'm glad he's down. I was like, man, that's one of the greatest players I've ever seen, and his career might be done. I it hits me because I've actually been peeled off a football field before. It's not fun when you get hurt and you get dragged off. Okay. No, well, I I couldn't. You know, I'm thankful. I'm I'm also a person that I don't like seeing sports injuries, especially really bad ones that will you know affect the player's career. Because mm-hmm. not only will it affect his career, it affects his his life in the long run. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and Peterson, who know, he might not be back until next November. 
if you know he's able to come back normally at all. Yeah, you know, like so, uh, one of my friends was like, "Hey, do you think he'll be back by week six next year?" I'm like, "No, no, no. It'll have to be until at least week seven. But how are we supposed to know what specific week he's going to be back next season? The guy had his knee broken in half. I mean, it was disgusting. So that cracks me up when they when they were talking about that. Yeah. Uh, so well, when when the Johnny Knox injury happened. I just found this out, I and mean, when I tell Coach this, he's gonna he's gonna find it kind of interesting. Well, I immediately tweet, um, "I hope Johnny Knox does not have a broken back." Okay, that's what I thought I tweeted. Well, like a week later, I don't go on, I don't tweet very much, don't go on it. Well, I'm like, hey, let me go through my Twitter account. And I go through there, and I get a message right at the top from one of my friends. Check your tweet. And I check my tweet, and it says. I hope Johnny Knox dies not have a broke back. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Johnny Knox dies not have a broke back on my tweet. Whoops. Oh, my. I got rid of that real quick, Mike. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I tweeted him early. He's like, man, he's like, I knew what you meant, but it did not look good whatsoever. I was like, I know. How embarrassing. Oh, my God. So, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just one of those things on Twitter where you have to – you have to basically edit everything you write and be careful what you what you send yeah. out because even if that gets deleted, someone someone's probably probably has seen it already. Well, you know what though? I don't think anybody because I have swiped the I is next to the O. I obviously meant does and not dies because you just you read the whole tweet. You obviously know I was concerned for the guy. Okay, you know it's, I'm not out there saying I hope he dies, but then again. I have ripped Johnny Knox as much as any bear on this whole entire team for the last three years. I've been wanting him cut for three seasons. So uh, people might actually think I actually said that and meant it. <laughs> oh, well. I've said some pretty harsh stuff about Johnny Knox. He's the worst receiver in the league, a bunch of other stuff. So That's true. He's, he's slowly getting better. I don't think so, not at all. I think he's horrible. If the simple fact that he's in his fourth year in the NFL. It's his fourth year, right? Or third, it was third. We'll say third. It's his third or fourth. But by his third year in the NFL, he doesn't understand that you cut with your outside foot, your plant foot, and that, that way you don't fall down, and he's still cunning with his inside foot. He falls down all the time. Last time he fell down, it cost Cutler his thumb. Uh. I, I'm just getting, he falls down all the time, and Cutler gets interceptions. Well, now instead of interceptions, he's got a cast. I'd much rather have an interception than a cast, but <laughs> I, I just think he's got to go. But I will say this, Johnny Knox with the football is as good as any receiver in the NFL. Maybe not any, but he's top five with the football in the league. His speed is incredible. I, just, I hope over the, over the next year, if he can come back healthy or if he plays football at all, because that's another, that's another question. Yeah, absolutely. But if he learns how to run routes, the Bears have a solid number two receiver, at least. I I don't think he'll ever be a number one, but I think I, I, he's a definitely he could definitely be a solid two. I am definitely going to agree with you that uh, he is a number two receiver. So yeah, we'll see. And I don't mean as in I don't mean as a second option. I mean he is number two. Johnny Knox, I hope you have a very long life, and I hope you have no problem walking and living and all that. But let's move on. We need other receivers, and so. Let me let me just put it at that. The Johnny Knox era is done. I, I, I look at him and just I would I would think of myself if I could actually have his talent. I wish I could. I mean, because he has no clue out there. He's legitimately an average high school receiver 
in the western or in the suburbs of Chicago is better coached and more disciplined than a starting receiver in the NFL. <laughs> Okay, I don't think I don't think he's that bad, but well, I, I got to give him some credit. He'll get. I think he'll get there. You know, Mike, he does so many fundamentally wrong things that it's just. And, and let's let's play it out too. I, I'm like I'm not making fun of him getting hurt, but the, the play that he got hurt on was because he was carrying the ball out like a loaf of bread and it got knocked out. Well, if he was carrying the ball like he's supposed to, high and tight, he doesn't fumble. He doesn't get his back broke. I'm not saying he deserves the back broke, but that's another <laughs> point. just. Just something Johnny Knox did fundamentally wrong. Again, it hurts the Bears. That's true. Uh, yeah, I, wanted, I was going to bring up a receiver because he decided not to carry the ball properly. True. I was going to bring up a couple of Mizzou points. By the way, Mizzou. yeah. Oh, by the way, that was I. I had. Let's hear about the Missouri Tigers because they went in and put a beat down on a North Carolina Tower Hill yesterday. Yeah, I just got a, a mention on Twitter where a friend of mine who's listening mentioned I should I should talk about Truman dropping the Independence Day trophy. Oh, I I didn't see that. I love a good trophy <laughs> drop. Describe yeah. what happened. To uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I guess while the teams, you know, the the teams were doing the pregame you know, bowl stuff before they even get out to the field. Truman drops the trophy, and all of a sudden on Twitter I see a bunch of broken trophies. That, you know, like people are saying, you know, I guess if you break it, you own it, right? And uh-huh. I, you know, I didn't really believe it until, you know, they got to the game and the announcers were confirming that, yes, Truman actually dropped the the first Independence Day trophy, Independence Bowl trophy. Now, who's Freeman? Uh, Truman, the mas- uh, Missouri mascot. Oh, the Missouri mascot broke it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, my goodness. So, uh, named after Harry Truman, who was from Missouri, the, the president, like the 34th president. Correct. Yes. Okay. It, I just could I thought it was funny, and I'm glad that they were able to go out, go out on a good note and actually got a, tro- a, a trophy was ordered before the game. You know, as the uh, public, the PR person said, and I'm glad they were able to leave with a shiny new glass trophy. And I hope Truman didn't get a hold of it, hold of this one. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully he didn't. He didn't break it. That's pretty embarrassing. Now Missouri looked pretty good. You know, the funny thing is, North Carolina has all this NFL talent on it, and and yet I, I knew Missouri was going to win. That was one of my picks and beat the Smoles, which we're going to get to here in a second, Mike. We just uh, finished up the Independence Bowl. Uh, Missouri, they were just like a well-coached, had a team this year, had a couple decent players on it that you know, might go to the NFL. They weren't loaded like they have been in the past. And they go up against a team that has all this talent in North Carolina, and they blew them out yesterday. And all it was was uh, Missouri would just stay fundamentally sound, go right down the field and score, and North Carolina would do something absolutely moronic and stupid, and Missouri would take advantage of it. So it was, you know, I wasn't sure how Missouri would come out because the last three bowl games, they've – come out flat and just looked awful and i it i was kind of nervous because north carolina scored on their first drive and i was like here we go again missouri is going to look terrible in another bowl game that against a team that they could beat but you know they changed my mind and they came out strong and and finished strong and i was happy to see them go out on a strong note before hopefully the conference lets them out to go to the sec which, uh, 
uh, do you really want that as a Missouri fan? I, I have thought in the SEC going uh, two and seven in conference and never going to a bowl game anymore. Enjoy that. Have fun with that. Well, you know the best the best case scenario was for them to end up in the East, which is where they are, and the the cross it depends on who their cross rival is. It'll be Texas A and M, and I think another West team, which right now is Alabama. So, but in okay. the East, the East they'll they'll be competitive in the East, but they may not win an SEC championship for a very long time. Well, they're, they're going to play nine conference games, so you're going to play. Uh, Six games in your division, you're going to play three crossover games. So it's going to be, they're still going to have to play Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Mississippi, like every year. So that's going to be, I mean, they're not going to be favorites in those games. Okay, not against Arkansas or LSU or Alabama. And then Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, these aren't bad teams. These aren't bad teams whatsoever. I know. Uh, you know, Florida's down. They can turn it around in a heartbeat. Missouri better be careful what they wish for. Honestly, I, Missouri and Texas A&M, I, I don't think they understand the depth. Texas A&M just put, do they really think they can contend with LSU and Alabama and Auburn and Mississippi and Mississippi State and Arkansas? Uh, Texas A&M is immediately the sixth best team out of those seven. They're only better than Mississippi out of all those schools. And in, in the Big 12, they have a chance to actually compete. And the Big 12 was better than the SEC this season. I'll be the first one to tell you that it was better than the SEC, but perennially, I mean, it was a stronger it was a stronger overall conference. But it's a conference where you can't really trust Texas or Oklahoma. If either either of those teams get the chance to leave, they're out. And so, I get where they're coming from with. The stability and wanting the revenue to be distributed more equally, which it will be in the SEC, and they're also they'll also get money to improve their facilities. The stadium will probably get bigger. It's just everything athletically will improve, and so I'm I'm happy with that. But with the move, I didn't really want it. I liked the tradition. I liked playing Kansas every year. I liked the current rivalries they had. So, you know, it'll take some getting used to. I'm excited for, you know, eventually all the road trips I'll probably take now to get to see some, down to that, some SEC games. That'll be fun. But other than that, I'm kind of nervous. But I think they'll do – I think they will do okay in the East next year. They'll be competitive. Well, I, I'll tell you this. Uh, Missouri will definitely be in good shape basketball-wise because it'll be Kentucky, Florida, and Arkansas, and Missouri can run with those teams. And- Missouri's basketball program might actually improve with this in some weird way. That might help the basketball program, I'm thinking. But football-wise, I think you're going to want out very, very quickly. If, if Texas A&M and Missouri doesn't make an immediate splash, what if, you know what I mean? You guys have to be a contending team, and if you do, you'll be able to recruit with the SEC teams and everything will be fine. You see, you see what I'm if, – if you can come in strong. What if you come in and you go – like two and seven in conference. All of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, those are the newbies. Forget them. And all of a sudden you end up being the Vanderbilt of the SEC. If that could happen. It, you, it, it definitely could happen, but you know, I, I think with the way that Gary Pinkle's recruited lately and they've also 
they've also recruited, I mean, changed their recruiting status in the last couple of years, in the last already couple of months, where they've shifted coaches to Florida and Atlanta. So they've got, they've, they've already got a plan to change their, their recruiting bases. And, you know, they've played against the spread, which a lot of the teams in the conference run. But the one place they will have to improve is defensively. Because offensively and defensively, the SEC is strong in a lot of places. They are, they are definitely extremely strong. I, I remember when I, Started dressing nicer, and decided since I was dressed nicer, I can hit on better-looking girls. It didn't work out for me. Okay, that's it. Be careful what you wish for. Right. I, you know, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm on. I agree with you with, in a lot of certain points because Missouri fans were all excited about leaving, and they were not thinking of the potential consequences of being horrible for. The next couple of years, I I looked at I look at it as starting at square one again, where in the Big Twelve they were slowly improving, they were starting to gain traction and competing with Oklahoma and Texas, and now they've it's back to square one. They got to start over and compete, try and rebuild and compete with with the top SEC teams. Yeah, and Mike, I just want to you know I'm not saying that I don't think they can compete. Matter of fact, what I'm telling you is I think they can because that. The Big 12 was just as good as the SEC was this season if you talk about top to bottom. Okay, so I'm not saying they can't compete. What I'm saying is if they don't compete immediately, it's going to be so hard for them to take advantage of sending coaches to Florida and, and Atlanta because all of a sudden they're still, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, you're an SEC team now. It's okay. They're going to be like, oh, you're the team that got your ass handed to you last year when you got here. There's going to be at the, you don't want to be the low man in the totem pole. So, what I'm saying is next year for your program is gigantic. It's huge. It's huge. Because sure. you're talking about a team that is a perennial. I would put Missouri as a, as a top 25 program in the country. But the fact that you're going into like this new – those people, even though LSU brought the welcome ad in the newspaper, LSU Tigers, welcome the Missouri Tigers, they, the people in the SEC have talked about it. They were like they want to – down Missouri and Texas A&M next year to prove how tough the conference is. Like you guys are marked teams going into that league. Marked teams like that's. Then again, who knows what what happens? Because if West Virginia doesn't actually go to the Big Twelve, Missouri can't go to the SEC, right? Uh, well, that's what that's what the Big Twelve is currently trying to say. But I think Missouri has stated that they're leaving regardless. So who knows what will happen? There's so much mumbo jumbo legal jargon that. Will will have to happen that I won't worry about till it actually happens. But the the SEC schedule for Missouri and Texas A and M, well, and the conference in general, is supposed to come out sometime this week. So uh, it'll we, be interesting to see what where both teams will be going and who they'll actually be playing. Uh, Georgia is coming to Missouri in I late s- October. I saw that, and I think Missouri is supposed to go to Florida at some point. Yes. I can't remember now, when. The only thing leaked was that Missouri is definitely going to the swamp, and they they didn't have a date for that. But then they said supposedly, then they had the date for uh, the Georgia. Georgia, and then the some though they haven't decided if they're going to go to or Alabama is going to come to them. But that'll you know either way it, it's it's I'll get to see some good football. Missouri fans will get to see what a, a big time conference looks like. It'll be. 
It'll be at least, it'll be fun for at least a year. And then after well, that, you know, we'll see. Well, who knows? If you guys win, you might end up dominating the conference. All of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, I, let's go to the new SEC school. You see, it's huge. As I'm saying, your year next year is huge as a football program. Now, before we wrap up, so this week we did the Pizza Swords like we do every single week. Uh, coach went on his usual pathetic one and two. Uh, I went two and one. Only game I lost all week, weekend, I did my the two college games. Uh, I took Southern Miss, and I, there was all different types of spreads, Mike, and I decided to be a tough guy. And I'm like, oh, I don't need the points. I'll go with the seven and a half. They lost by, oh, they won by seven. So I lost <laughs> by a hook. But I still went two and one this week, which puts me at 30 and 20 on the season, which is 60%, right at 60%, which is truly, it's, that's absolutely freaking ridiculous. We want to hear something even more ridiculous is the fact that our guy David Olson was 3-0 and again this week, which is, David, were you, you were, were you 32 and 16 going in the last week? What was your record going in the last week? I think I was 32 and 16, so. That, that sounds right. So yeah, 35 and 16 at this point, which is right there. I do believe you went back over 70% on the season with that particular win. That's freaking ridiculous. Okay. That's, that's pretty incredible. And, and, well, any, and anytime you bet on a college football bowl game, that's got to be the most nerve-wracking thing ever because that is one. Those are college football games are such an anomaly. You never know who's going to show up or what team will win, especially in those smaller bowl games where you're like, okay, this team, this team can win, but you know, you never know what's going to happen because there's so much change, and there's you know, it's all about focus because you haven't played for so you know certain bowl games you haven't played for one or two weeks. I will tell you this, uh, something more nerve-wracking than uh, betting on a college bowl game is signing a prenuptial agreement. <laughs> Speaking of prenuptials, you know, Kobe didn't sign one. He's about to lose half his money. <laughs> yeah, he did. Never get married in California, rich folks. Poor folks, that's where you do it. All right. I think that's about all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me, big dog. I appreciate the help. <laughs> no, no problem, Mike. Everybody listen to two guys in the mic. See you later, everyone. Have a good New Year's.